father Tell your children it's Father's Day Tell your children not to heed the words of the band Sugar Ray Father Oh, Father Elliot directed by Ivan Wright Does the jokes depend on a hair world? <laughs> Alright, I lost it You are listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast Where we take your most sinister movie dares and suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, local comedian, and I think I just ran over a body. I'm pretty sure. Yep, I just ran over a body back there. With me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. Corky, that intro was so appropriate for this movie, and that it went on way too long, and there was no payoff whatsoever, (laughs) and no setup. So, good job. Hi, everyone. On this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. You dirty dogs, you. And then we review and rate them on our unique system. The system is as follows. I will explain it now. Don't worry. Run-of-the-mill bad film. We rate that a dare. Double dare rating goes to the truly atrocious movies. And the reverse dare rating is for a despised movie that we actually like. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing Robin Williams and Billy Crystal in the 1997 comedy Father's Day. We're also going to read some movie dares sent in by our listeners, but before we get started, as per usual, Dan and I are going to tell us about the beer we're drinking during the show. Well, we're still social distancing as we are recording this, um, so we're drinking different beers today. Corky, I see that you are, took a big swig out of your uh, bottle of Saison there, just as they recommended, I think. Recommended glassware. Swig. Anytime you don't hear me talking, just assume I am plugging this Saison down. This is uh, Urban Roots. No one taught that to me yet. Figured this was apropos for fathers. And uh, god damn, this is a very smooth, smooth Saison. It's a spelt Saison. Well, that sounds really good. I've had that beer before. It's an excellent beer. Urban Roots, of course, they do absolutely fantastic work here in Sacramento. I am drinking a collaboration beer. Collaboration between two of my favorite breweries in California. Alvarado Street. They're in Monterey slash Salinas and Moonraker from Auburn. Uh, local boys made good. This is spaced out double IPA collaboration. It is hazy. It is brewed and packaged by Alvarado Street Brewery. It is 16 fluid ounces. They really do not give you a lot of information on these cans, <laughs> Alvarado Street. Uh, but it's a delicious beer. Quirky, as you can see, it is uh, super oh, hazy, yeah. it is super gold, it is super juicy. I mean, you can practically feel the pulp in this thing. It is a big, juicy, delicious, uh, hazy double IPA from two fantastic breweries. I've also noticed nobody who nobody's sending dares in is using the word schmied. Nobody's taking your advice to save themselves beautiful amounts of time. I feel like with the shelter in place, people just feel they have a lot of time on their hands anyway. So it's Time is like, meaningless. Why? Let's do it. The, let's butter churn here. Let's do it the old-fashioned <laughs> way. Let's. I'm baking bread. I'm, I'm learning like, how to sew. I'm learning Morse code. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, but our first dare, our first dare, Corky, comes to us from... Comes to us from Janice Sinclair. Her dare is dangerous men. She says... All right, Daniel Barnes, I see you. Too Uh good for Street Fighter, eh? Yeah. The most, this is in quotes now, the most slapdash (laughs) filmmaking I've ever seen. Let me tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) Dangerous Men is undoubtedly the most confusing, nonsensical, meandering, plotless movie I have ever seen. 
At no point do fancy film terms like narrative or cohesion enter this movie's dictionary. <laughs> and now you have to watch it. I'm sorry to drag you into this, Corky. Suffer well, gentlemen. Wow. That sounds like it's going to be, you are just collateral damage in the culture wars between <laughs> yeah, me and Jaina. <laughs> I'm taking not so friendly fire over here, Jaina. The IMDb synopsis, how great would it if the IMDb synopsis was also targeted to us? <laughs> After her fiancé is killed and she is almost sexually assaulted, Jesus Christ, a woman becomes an Avenger of the Night seeking to kill all dangerous men who would harm women. Meanwhile, her fiancé's cop brother also seeks <laughs> seeks to bring down the biker gang associated with the murder. I can't make it through IMDb synopsis without laughing anymore. <laughs> I know. I never never seen Dangerous Man. Have you ever heard of it? I've never heard of this. Never even heard of this. I can't I can't, I didn't write down who the director was, but it was nobody you would you would ever know. This is low 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 budget. Low yeah, after in the 80s this would have had Sybil Danning in it or something. <laughs> uh we should mention that Jaina with her dare slipped a little something extra in the ching So... That might just, her dare might accidentally just, oopsie, it fell to the top of the pile. That happens. I, Gravity I mean, I got, works in weird ways sometimes. I got a dare with, with with no money in this hand, and then in this hand I got a dare with a little bit of Andrew Jackson on top of it. Whoops. <laughs> the no money dare fell under a grate or under the table. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh but thank you very much jana for the thank you jana thank you for the support and for the donation helping us keep the lights on around here and now our feature presentation it's father's day this week's episode is father's day come to us from dear leo logan why did leo Leo logan let me just do you know leo logan i do not Here's a funny little coincidence. Um, I, uh, you have a couple of daughters. I don't have any kids, but I do have nieces and nephews. And on my wife's side, my brother-in-law and his wife, uh, I have two nephews, and their names are Leo and Logan. Oh, no, really? Those are their names. How amazing is that, Leo Logan, if that is your real name? And if not, how dare you play with my emotions like that? <laughs> Let's turn dark these are, quick. <laughs> these are all very personal dares this, this week. Why did Daniel's nephews on his wife's side dare us this movie? Because it's a case of bankable leads and a top director at the time in Ivan Reitman that resulted in an unfunny mess considering the talent involved. Good luck! The IMDb synopsis for Father's Day. A woman cons two old boyfriends into searching for her runaway son by convincing both that they are the boy's father. Yes, this week's feature presentation is Father's Day from 1997. However, Corky, we really need to go back, back in time. Gotta go back in time. Gonna go back in time. Bow, 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 bow. Back in time. Yeah. The power of love. A little flavor to that. Let's go back in time to 1983 and a French film... Called Le Compare, directed by one Francis Weber. Francis Weber, that may not like ring a lot of bells, even in cinephile circles, that doesn't really ring a lot of bells. But this guy, let me tell you, a very successful director in France, and the king of the got his movie remade in America throne. 
There have been so many movies made out of Francis Weber movies. The list includes The Man with One Red Shoe, The Toy with Richard Pryor, Pure Luck, Three Fugitives, The Birdcage, Dinner for Schmucks, and this week's film, Father's Day, based on the 1983 film Le Compare, as I said. This one stars Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. Of course, they worked together on Comic Relief. They were friends in real life. Let's do a project together. What do we got? They were still A-listers, I guess, more or less at the time. I mean, it's pretty much kind of their, they're sort of on the downward slope of of the fame. I mean, early 90s was really both of their heyday, but um, they're still A-listers at the time. They're still big stars. This was actually came out the same year as Goodwill Hunting, which uh, won Robin Williams the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Absurd. Uh, director Ivan Reitman, also still a fairly hot property. Producer Joel Silver, pretty big deal. Script by my guy, the great poet, Lowell Gans, and your guy, criminally overrated hack, Bob Lou Mandel. Don't you dare say a word. Don't you dare, sir. Team Baba. Team Baba. Cast also includes Julia Louise Dreyfus, Natasha Kinski, Bruce Greenwood, and the rock and roll band <laughs> known as Sugar Ray. Movie was released May 9th, 1997. Yes. Father's Day is so sloppy they released it on Mother's Day. <laughs> it opened in a distant second place to that week's other debut movie, The Fifth Element, which is the movie I went to go see in theaters as a 20-year-old. Um, total domestic gross for Father's Day, big disappointment, $28.6 million. But that's okay because, it was, I mean, you saw it. It was a modest little comedy, right? Like, sure. Could, could not the budget. $85 million. How in what? the fuck? That is a hundred... How, and thirty six million dollars, one hundred thirty six million dollars in twenty twenty money was spent on this movie. It's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Mostly panned by critics. Twenty five on Rotten Tomatoes, forty three on Metacritic. However, dissenting opinion, dissenting adult Dessen Thompson of the Washington Post wrote, "Quote: The comedians blend like a mini dream team." <laughs> Crystal's deadpan expressions. This is the Washington Post. Crystal's deadpan expressions and one-liners interlock perfectly with Williams' multiple personalities and verbal asides. They're like basketball all-stars flipping no-look passes, trading slam dunks, and practically chest bumping each other. End quote. Fun fact: Dessen Thompson actually went on to become a speechwriter for the Obama administration, and that, my friends is the Obama's America that Dinesh D'Souza should have warned us about. <laughs> all your made-up bullshit about Obama death camps and all these other things that were going to happen. No, no, no. But the guy who gave a rave review to Father's Day <laughs> was a heartbeat away from the president. <laughs> that's, that's the Obama's America that Dinesh should have, like, investigate that. Uh, but Roger Ebert expressed the more common sentiment of contempt. He called the film, quote, a brainless feature-length sitcom with too much sit and no calm. It, it, it's a dry wit. Uh, Quirky, whose side are you on here? Uh, beloved uh, film critic Roger Ebert or... Obvious lunatic, Dessen Thompson? So Dessen Thompson saying that this is an all-star dream team is like saying is like saying Robert England and Heather Langenkamp were made a dream team in Nightmare on Elm Street. You know what I mean? This movie is a nightmare pairing. <laughs> because it's a fucking nightmare, this pairing, this movie. It truly it nightmare is the word that immediately came to mind. This is my fucking nightmare. This movie is a fucking nightmare. Like I went in with 
what I would describe as basement level expectations. I had no expectations, yeah. honestly. And I was still semi-shocked at how <laughs> sloppy, at how lazy, how sad and unfunny this movie is. And the fact that it cost $136 million in 2020 money to make. When you told me how much money this movie cost to make, I was sitting there, I'm like, half the movie is shot on the side of a freeway. <laughs> There is nothing that should cost that much no, money. No, nothing they do should cost any of that money. It, it all just went to the above-the-line talent. It went to Williams. It went to Crystal. It went to Ivan Reitman. It went to Joel Silver. But they did not share with the production. Uh, it is, it's, it's bad. And this it really reeks of rewrites, reshoots, re-edits. There are scenes that will logically contradict something that just happened in the previous scene. Like, yeah. that, that's how bad it is. Um, and then they, you can tell that they didn't really pay much attention to the script anyway because I can hear Crystal's bits. I can hear Robin Williams' bits. And the, the kid who played the, uh, the kid said in an interview, he's like, they were just improving on set and I had to go <laughs> along with it and make up. It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> There's movies where characters go on an adventure or at least a journey together. They learn about each other. They learn about themselves. And then the movie at the end, not a lot happened like eventfully story-wise, but you you had a successful movie because you saw a journey that they went on. But what that's predicated on is that you believe the actual human interactions involved in the movie. I didn't believe, I don't think there's one scene in here where I believe that this is the way humans would behave with each other. No, absolutely not. This is the way words on a page behave to each other. This is the way they behave in the minds of people who are so bizarrely sheltered that they would make this movie for <laughs> 85 fucking million. All right, let's get into the movie. Father's... Day, Father's Day. So, of course, it's Father's Day. So, we see all photos of a kid growing up. He's getting older. He's getting older. We're seeing the photos, seeing the videos, seeing all these pictures. And this kid is Scott. Scott is the teenage boy at the center of this film. And there's a Paul McCartney song. There's like two original Paul McCartney songs in this movie. Right. How much did that cost of the $85 million to get two songs <laughs> for the credits? I will say... For being late stage McCartney, this was actually an okay song That's a solid over the song. opening credits. Solid song. Yeah. It has like a, I don't know if Jeff Lynne produced it, but it has a very Jeff Lynne kind of a, a feel to it, like the kind of Tom Petty stuff Tom Petty was doing around this time. Um, but yeah, so this, it's like all these sort of nostalgia, like everything is very Auburn tinged, you know, and you see all these pictures of Scott growing up. And then all of a sudden there was like this smash cut, and suddenly <laughs> it's in black and white. And this kind of slow motion sort of thing. And there's these shots of Natasha Kinski and Bruce Greenwood and their kid, who's Scott, now grown up, no, or a 16-year-old. And he gets on a, the back of a motorcycle and they take off. And it's just like, and that's it. That's the only time any of this black and white stuff comes into no, play. And it, yeah. if that scene is not introduced. There's no dialogue. There's no other thing. This is, we're still in the Paul McCartney song. This is a part of the yeah. song, right? It's still the opening credits. <laughs> and then they try to shoehorn the Thunder Rolls video in. <laughs> but yeah, it... It is so clunky and just so like loudly clunky. Yeah, y you immediately like, wow, this just does not bode well for any anything working in this movie. So okay, credits are over. So we get an establishing shot of Los Angeles City Hall, the kind of establishing shot that unmistakably says, "We are in Los Angeles now." <laughs> yes, <laughs> lazy. 
So Natasha. Kinsey, it also tells you. Sorry, sorry. It also tells you. It also tells you that the main character is going to have an interesting job. <laughs> right. So Natasha Kinsky, sure enough, walks into a courtroom and sees Billy Crystal. He's a lawyer. And right away, they lo- they lock eyes, and it's the kind of you, – you can automatically tell that these are people who know each other, but they haven't seen each other in a long time. He's surprised to see her. Um, we find out, yes, they were ex-lovers from 17 years ago. So they go and have lunch to, like, catch up, right? So he talks about what his life is. He's – what was this guy? I forgot what Billy Crystal's name was in this movie. Jack. I mean, he's the most 90s sitcom named Jack Lawrence. So Jack, Jack Lawrence. So we meet Jack Lawrence. He's a lawyer. He's on his third marriage. Um, he, he likes his third wife. He's, he wants to hang on to this one. Um, and she informs him what she's been doing. She's married to this guy named Bob, and they have a kid. He's 16. But the kid's been gone for two weeks. And he's like, why the hell should I care? And he's like, he's yours. He's yours. At which point, Billy Crystal does like the opposite of a spit take. Like he does a drink take. She says it mid-martini, but instead of spitting out the martini, he just keeps drinking the martini, which is the one semi-good bit in the movie. Exactly. I said, funny take, right? I said, that was a good take. That's (laughs) You're in the hands of someone who knows how to do comedy. I watched the trailer, the online trailer for this. He does a spit take in the online trailer. Oh, does like, he really? Yes. That's hilarious. Whoever put the trailer together was like, that's not funny. What's funny is spitting. Here's what's going to draw him in. Okay. The spitting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she tells him, yeah, the, uh, Scott's your kid um, from 17 years ago. My husband, Bob, thinks that Scott is his kid. I never told him. He's your kid. So go find him. And what Crystal says, I don't find people. I sue them. End of scene. And the next time we see him, he is finding someone. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's how the scene ends. Right. So let's cut over to Robin Williams okay. as a change of pace. He's playing a suicidal <laughs> character who lives in San Francisco. Why? Why do we have to watch a movie that opens with Robin Williams attempting suicide? <laughs> it's just like because in every fucking movie he plays, I mean, I don't know. It's I didn't know Robin Williams, but I th- it seems like there was a lot of red flags going on there, guys. Yeah, and then especially when you're watching later on how the depression is played for yucks or played for just get over it, you got a good life. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like, when his script notes is always, shouldn't my character be suicidal? I mean, that's <laughs> there's a red flag. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. But I think our second funny bit, and I think the last one in the movie ha- comes when Robin Williams has set fire to his scripts, he's got a gun in his mouth, and he answers the phone, and then he has just a casual conversation with the gun still in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. It was funny, but I'm still saying, like, oh, in context, I shouldn't be laughing it's at pretty, this. I could, yeah. So, uh, but who's on the phone? It's Natasha Kinsky. And she says, let's meet again. And they were also lovers 17 years ago. And she feeds Robin Williams, whose character is named Dale, she feeds him the same line. Neither of these guys is an investigator or has any kind of skills in that regard, right? Right. But really the issue is that she spends all of this time tracking down these two men who she has not seen in 20 years, one who lives in Los Angeles and one who lives in San Francisco, making up this story about how their father so that she will they'll find the kid and then she goes home. And she she does not she do just anything goes else. home. <laughs> hey, here's a thought. Cut out the middle men. 
<laughs> used all of that time you were tracking these guys to find Scott, who it turns out was very easy to find. Yes, was yeah, right? exceptionally easy to find because basically she got stuck at the father. Her fucking thought process is my kid's missing. Here's what I'll do. I'll think of two men I slept with 17 years ago, <laughs> tell them that they're the father, lie to them, and then leave my husband at home while I drive up to San Francisco to visit one of them and then go back home and wait and hope that figures itself out. And then not tell them that there's these other people. Do, it just, I mean, I guess the not telling was the ruse part, but here's the thing is like, again, Billy Crystal's character is a corporate lawyer. Robin Williams' character is a playwright. These guys do not have any special skills that would help in an investigation. <laughs> the investigation is solved by pure logic. <laughs> they find him by the end of the first act. Fuck's sake. <laughs> All right, let's move on with it. The premise is nonsense. Let's, let's just roll with it. Here's the other thing we find out with this movie is people are just where they need to be when the scene needs them to be there. Because Jack, the L.A. lawyer, is in San Francisco for some fucking reason. He's just there for a random work thing. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. It doesn't make it doesn't tie into anything. Uh, it, it's yeah. He just shows up in San Francisco. I'm here. I'm in San Francisco for this day, and you needed me to come to San Francisco because that's like the last place where. Yeah, and while uh, my my Flabbersheim account debriefing got canceled or something, you know. <laughs> oh, I'll go look for this kid. So. Robin Williams is character Dale. We told you he's suicidal, but he's also, he's wacky. Would you say he's wacky? I would say I, he's wacky. I'd say he's wacky enough to do a montage of practicing meeting the kid. Ah, uh, well, Robin Williams character bit montage. It's his death. This is awful. It's so bad. And they don't even like th- these scenes. They are like the de rigueur thing that was in every Robin Williams movie yes. in the 90s. You had to have this like three minute long scene of him doing all these characters and they cut it all together in a montage. And it was always bad. But like <laughs> even something like Mrs. Doubtfire like is like okay, this guy's like a voice performer and uh-huh. someone asks him about his job. So there's like the lazy little setup of why are we gonna why is Robin Williams doing this thing? This movie doesn't even bother with that. It doesn't even bother <laughs> with that. It's just like let's go back to his apartment where he's trying on costumes and he will be uh, uh stoner dad. Yep. He will be a uh, rapper dad. Robin Williams' hip hop dad, uh, hip hop guy, is the worst character. I oh, think yo, he's ever Scott, done. yo, Scott, yo, Scott. Oh, it's just awful. It's, it's baggy awful. pants, hat sideways. <laughs> British dad? Should I meet Scott as British dad? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> what? I mean, all you need to say is it's a Robin Williams montage scene, and, and it's like that's self explanatory. So. We're on the investigation now. We're back to Billy Crystal, and now he's just investigating this this thing, which he said he doesn't investigate, but now he is. So he meets a mechanic played by Charles Rocket, who is the father of this girl that Scott ran off with, the girl on the motorcycle, right? right. And and for whatever reasons, because the script demands it of him, he is very hostile to these people who want to find his daughter. <laughs> right, right off the bat, his he wants to fight. Daughter. His runaway daughter is like, listen, I'm tired of this bullshit. Uh, but yeah, uh, Billy Crystal. He works at Tip Top Towing, which gets a, a reaction shot. Not a laugh, <laughs> but a reaction shot. So that's it. So this is where we should probably talk about, like, again, I've not seen La Compare, the 1983 French movie this is based on. But we should mention in that film, this role is played by Gerard Depardieu. Okay. 
1983, so he was still, you know, as fit as Gerard Depardieu ever was. An imposing physical presence. Yes. He also yes. plays, he also plays not a corporate lawyer. He plays an investigative journalist <laughs> who is investigating the mafia. So there you have, oh, it would make sense to engage his services. He is an investigative journalist. He would be good at finding people. Also, it makes sense that he goes around beating people up because he's a tough guy who is bigger than most people that he's going to come in contact with. But Billy Crystal is just a fucking lawyer who's really good at headbutting people. And that's his thing. That's his thing. He's legit two feet shorter than Charles Rocket. And (laughs) Billy Crystal fights anybody in this movie. But yeah, that that breaks Charles Rocket down. And Charles Rocket's like, oh, go, go and see the mother. Go and see the mother. Which is, again... The logical thing. When her when the girl's father says, I don't know, go to the girl's mother, that's not Sherlock Holmes level stuff. That's basic logic. And Natasha Kinsey's like, wait, not basic logic. <laughs> <laughs> Find two people I haven't seen in 20 years. Tell them they're his father. Ah, okay. But Robin, who comes in right afterwards, Robin Williams, ridiculous, dumb comic non-hijinks ensue. And basically, Williams and Crystal meet up outside. Listless, pointless banter ensues. Um, but they're like, oh shit, our kids are... You're looking after. You're looking for a missing kid. I'm looking for a missing kid. Holy shit! Maybe we're looking for missing kids who are running away together because they're fucking morons. Like, <laughs> they don't make this fucking connection. They're just like, oh, maybe my kids run away and your kids also run away. Or so that's what they. They're just like, okay, let's go see the mother, right? So now we get this car ride uh, where they're they're learning about each other. Uh. Is, is driving. Um, this is where we learn Billy Crystal hates mimes. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It comes up really organically, too. That's what I really thought. You're not a mime, are you? Because I hate mimes. (laughs) You're not a mime, are you? (laughs) What about, like, you talking to him? You're talking to him? (laughs) Yeah, so Billy Crystal hates mimes. Um, Robin Williams misses the exit and he faints while driving. How do you miss an exit on the Bay Bridge? There, <laughs> there are no, no exits. <laughs> hey, can you drive off the bridge? That would make me think. <laughs> As they get out of the car, uh, Billy Crystal says, listen, Chip. And Robin Williams says, Dale. Because his name's Dale. That is Fuck. a level of comedy genius. $85 million alone could buy. All right. So anyway, they meet the girl's mother. They do this whole crying bit. She has no worries about her daughter. She reveals that they follow Sugar Ray around. Yeah. Well, she says, she says, they're probably with Sugar Ray. At which point Crystal says, Leonard? And I started praying, oh, please let these kids be following Sugar Ray Leonard around the fucking, because the alternative to that is too horrifying to think about. I would love it if all of these 16-year-olds were just like, Sugar Ray Leonard! We're just following you from city to city. <laughs> like, but no. He's just coming out of his Virginia home like, kids, I told you. Stop. I'm Leave retired. <laughs> like, I've been retired for decades. I haven't been right since the Hagler fight. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, but yeah, because kids no. following around Mark McGrath's band is just too it's outlandish exciting. to believe. It's insane. They made, made me realize, holy shit, Sugar Ray is going to be in this movie. And sure enough, they were. Not yet, though. Well, we'll get there. Um, and this is also the point where these two absolute bozos realize finally, fucking finally, that they're after the same kid. And they yell, that bitch! And they call Natasha Kinski up and she says to them, the truth is, I don't know. Find him and we can settle it later. 
This is a line <laughs> that a mother says in this movie. <laughs> like, bring him home. We'll cut him in half. What? Like, what? 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 This is logic. This is where I started going because Robin Williams' character is obviously unwell. He, he right. panic attacks, pass out. He's crying. He uh, thinks he runs over bodies in the middle of the road. Yeah, he passed out while driving his car. It, aside from them also need, thinking that the kid might be theirs, there's no reason Crystal would keep Robin Williams with them. He he borrows money. He's he's not safe Completely to be around. Completely useless person. Yes. That's no reason. But they do decide to indeed trail the boy to a Sugar Ray concert that is happening in Sacramento. In a club that is totally not Sacramento. The world-famous <laughs> Mayan theater. Are you kidding me? Sacramento's landmark. They showed the inside of that club, and it was like it was the <laughs> D- Justice League or it was the Divisadero. Uh, but what I loved is that there's a lot of ska, 90s ska punk on the soundtrack. and. It's funny because like there's Scott Punk playing on this car trip that Billy Crystal and Robin Williams are taking, and of course they're bantering, and it's just hilarious. But there's Scott Punk playing, and at one point, as you said, the, uh, Billy uh, Robin Williams thinks that he's run somebody over, and Billy Crystal has a look and say, "No, you didn't." And then like he says, "Okay," he starts driving again, and the music comes on again. I'm like, "Wait, they were listening to that like diegetically, <laughs> like they were just like, should we get pumped up for the Sugar Ray concert? Like, I mean, we're going." <laughs> We're going. Let's get some constant psychic rock in here, guys. You got that Mighty Mighty Boston CD? <laughs> Pop it in. <laughs> it's just awful. So, yes, they get to Sacramento's world-famous Mayan Theater, the Sugar Ray concert. And this movie is obviously made by older men because, again, the Sugar Ray is awful. 90s punk is awful. But this concept of punk rock is like what people had in the 70s. This is like, yes. I know what the Sex Pistols are, and then I don't know what, huh? Because everybody in the show has spiked mohawks, they have studded leather, everybody is like Sid Vicious in this in this punk club in 1997, listening to Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray is playing, my god. Ugh. The comedy bits of them going into this place where they're fish out of water is just predicated on them asking, hey, have you seen Scott in a man in makeup? <laughs> Says, No. And it's like, oh my god, that was a man in makeup. Whoa! That's like the whole wow. reaction bit. There's piercing humor. There's, <laughs> uh, and I don't mean that it's it's sharp, funny humor. I mean like, there's <laughs> jokes where they get caught up on people's piercings. Oh, there's a lot of piercing humor and a great piercing cameo later in the film. That's a tease. That's a tease for all of our listeners. It reminds me in the '90s, uh, my girlfriend used to watch Melrose Place, and I was watching an episode of Melrose Place with her, and there was two people on stage in a leather jacket. One person had a mohawk, and they were just kind of punching each other, and then the person goes, what are you doing spending all your time at raves? And it was like none of this like, made any sense in I any world. I know three youth terms. I'm just going to put them all together. <laughs> <laughs> I know punk, I know bosh, I know rave. This is like, those are all the same thing, right? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Ah, the mid-90s. The mid-90s. Good stuff. So anyway, uh, Robin Williams runs on stage. He does some hijinks because he's looking for Scott. It's really funny. It's really funny. The, Trust me. The one thing, though, that, yeah, the one thing, though, 
Robin Williams goes f- crowd surfing, but he fucking goes face first. That is something you never That's do. You will lose an mistake. eye that way, dude. So we now finally see Scott. Holy shit, Scott is there. He's at the club. He's because he's following Sugar Ray. He's a Sugar Ray super fan. Everybody's uh, he, just where you need him. He's passed out though. He's all passed out on drugs. Uh, his girl is there. The girl from the on the motorcycle that he's been uh, chasing around. Mark McGrath mid song. Mid song walks out into the crowd, grabs her away from a drugged out, wasted Scott, brings her on stage, and starts making out with her on stage. The song is still going. Like he's just like, I'm gonna dawdle <laughs> off. I'm that important to this enterprise. That was just like a ray. So I'm <laughs> just gonna walk in the crowd. Like, oh, look, a woman. Bring her on stage and just make out with her. Also, she's 16. This movie does not paint Sugar Ray in a positive light. Good on Sugar Ray. Warts and all. That's what Mark McGrath is like. Listen, you're telling the real story here. <laughs> I'm, I'm Mark McGrath. I won't stand for your lies. You um, thought it was like a gimme shelter kind of thing about, about Sugar Ray. <laughs> but yeah, Scott wakes up, sees his girlfriend on stage making out with Mark McGrath, is as upset as any of us would be by seeing that and again she's 16 years old i mean he's witnessing a crime this is a crime scene now. yeah the um, whole the whole place is witnessing a crime <laughs> they're all witnessing it but scott is the one who gets kicked out by security guards so they he gets kicked out robin williams and uh by like crystal sees us they run outside where it is now raining it's just raining because they needed that emotion for the scene <laughs> it was not <laughs> raining earlier nothing was raining but now it's raining so they're like oh scott you're okay so they bring they get him in the car but instead of just driving back to L.A., they decide they're going to go back to San Francisco and stay the night in the hotel that Billy Crystal's staying in. Because, again, Billy Crystal's in SF for a dumb work thing that still hasn't happened. So at this point, they've witnessed an, a statutory rape on stage, and now they've kidnapped a drug-induced boy. So they call Natasha Kinski, and they're like, hey, we're going to take this back to San Francisco, and then tomorrow we'll bring him back to L.A. and bring him back to you. Well, Scott, he's fine. Um, but Bob who is the father-in-law, who just now learned that maybe Scott is not his child. Yeah. Because he overheard Natasha Kinski on the phone. Remember she said, this is Bruce Greenwood, by the way. A very good. Yes. Excellent character actor, Bruce Greenwood. Who looks like Ned Flanders. He does. <laughs> and almost always plays a villain, which is where I really thought this movie was going, too. Especially with what happens to Bob over, <laughs> over the course of the film. A hundred percent. I was stunned Bruce Greenwood was a good guy. Yeah. So Bruce, uh, so Bob uh, is like, holy shit, he might not be my child. I need to run down to San Francisco. I need to be there when he wakes up. So he takes off, but his car breaks down on the way to San Francisco. Uh, tires that can't get on. So he decides he's going to walk. He's in the middle of nowhere. So he's going to go and walk to a gas station. And I'll say he's not in the middle of nowhere so much. He's right outside. He's on Mulholland. He's right outside the lake. Like, <laughs> right. Where did that 85 million go? They did right? not go far no. to shoot the yeah. Bruce Greenwood scenes. Not shot on location. Um, so we go back to the hotel room and Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. They fill Scott in on the details. Hey, one of us might be your father, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Scott is not into it. Strangely enough, waking up in a hotel room in a different city <laughs> with two strange men who say they might be your father. Who have taken your clothes off. You've taken your clothes off. You're all in robes. You are all in robes. Uh, and he is like, you know what? I find this slightly troubling. <laughs> but Billy Crystal, it's all right. He's going to stay and he's with the kid because it's a weird situation, right? No, he has to leave for his nonsensical work thing. 
just so dumb. Uh, 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 Scott also has $5,000 yes, right. um, in MacGuffin he, bucks. <laughs> we cut back to Bruce Greenwood, who is now walking up to uh, a roadside service station, has a little polite banter with a guy who's uh, loading up a truck. Who says, good morning. It was night. It was like still day when he left his car. So it's the next morning. Like, remember, we've had this whole thing with uh, the... He, he walked for a day and a night? He literally walked all night. <laughs> They're just like, good morning. So, wait. So, they, no. whoever whoever gets him a ride back to his car is going to drive half a night, maybe. Or three quarters of a day to get I him back the to his car. Timing of this <laughs> he has to use the bathroom. And they say... No, no bathroom. You got to use the porta potty. He's been walking alongside an empty road for a night, and nowhere did he think, "Oh, I'll just go behind." No cars, no traffic, nothing. He's like, "I'm gonna wait for the porta potty." The service station guy says, "There's a porta potty," and you could see that coming from the Hubble telescope. You could. It's just here's your uh, your liberal culture wars right here. Anyone who is not in San Francisco or Los Angeles. Is a literal hayseed out of deliverance. Like a this guy is a southern cracker. Yeah, where are they? Like Lodi? Like where is this? <laughs> where is this? They don't even have indoor plumbing at this place. <laughs> they have porta potties. It's just like oh, not San Francisco, not LA. Well, you know we don't cotton to your kind here in Modesto. <laughs> here in Sirius. We don't need no fancy plumbing. <laughs> this is Santa Rosa, young man. Boy, I in Visalia, we don't need no fancy <laughs> car workings in Visalia. Fucking ridiculous. Anyway, this driver gets in his truck. Uh, Bob gets in the porta potty. The tow truck driver backs up for no reason because he's nope. a dumb southern hayseed hick. Uh, and Kablamo. Porta potty tips over with Bob inside, rolls down the hill and rolls with the door under it, and Bob is trapped inside it. You could hear feces sloshing around in there. <laughs> um, it's such overkill. Like it's yeah. overkill. Yeah. To the point you're like, why would I think this is funny? The only way that this could possibly be funny is like a home alone thing, right? It's okay that these guys are getting tortured because they're trying to hurt a child, right? Like right. it's there's a there's a reason for it. As it turns out, Bob is just a perfectly sweet guy. So putting him through this like saw-like ringer is so fucked. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, this guy didn't turn out to be a villain. This is fucked up. It's right. not funny. And you're no. really torturing this character I think for what reason? If we saw Bob two months later after he's had time to sit with this for a while, all the <laughs> shit that Natasha Kinski put him through, his kid ripped off drug dealers, I think Bob might go a little stepfather on this one. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, indeed. So we go back to the hotel. Robin Williams and the kid, they're still just hanging out in bathrobes. We're supposed to think Robin Williams is going to be a good father or something. Like, put some pants on, dude. You would have <laughs> never met this child. <laughs> this is the first I'm- time you've, you've met him while he's conscious. sure enough scott burns his crotch he grabs some coffee wants some coffee whammo into the crotch and scott runs off because of course he just loves sugar ray so much he needs to follow sugar ray no he's after his girlfriend because he's fucking trapped inside of a hotel room with two men well i mean 
fight or flight it just <laughs> yes. took over i think at that point anything's a weapon in that situation so and this all happens just as julie was dreyfus shows up too because what a screwball first this is this kid is 17 when we first meet him he's blackout drunk at a club underage right yeah he's 17 i'm not buying that he's three year four year alcoholic the kid shows no signs of a hangover. Remember the first time that you got blackout, vomiting, drunk? For sure. Yeah, no, he's been down this road before. Robin Williams wears that kid's clothes for like the next 45 minutes of the movie. I was I like, know. why is he wearing the wallet chain? Stop wearing it. It's not his wallet. I know. <laughs> oh, but um, back to Bob. Back to Bob, still swimming in feces in the tipped-over porta potty But don't worry. She took that get in on a winch, and then we pulled it right up. And then, oh, no, it dropped again in more feces. He spends the entire day in this porta potty swimming in feces. He has sepsis or toxic shock syndrome or something. <laughs> He's been in there all day. He is still as polite. He is Ned Flanders. He doesn't just look like Ned Flanders. He's just calling this a big whoopserino. <laughs> This movie exists in a world that doesn't really isn't really inhabitable because Julia Louis Dreyfus just walks in the hotel room. Like, what hotel room can you just knock twice and open the door? Nobody was there to let her in. She had no key card. We cut back to Bob getting hosed down on the side of the service station, yeah, and Bruce Greenwood for- has he's he's been jacked for like forty years. Like this guy has a great body. But what I did not need was I did not need the little stains of brown on him that they showed. It's like I get it. He was in a porta potty all day. Do we need to see the feces on him? No. So now we're in Reno. Scott's in Reno. Comes out of a pawn shop. Um, we get some great shots. Uh, some great neat Reno nostalgia in here because they really shot it in Reno. And there's a lot of places that are no longer there. Like you see Fitzgerald's. You see Harold's Club. You see all these places that are long gone. Um, but yeah, the kid shows up in Reno. He finds his girlfriend. He just runs right into a casino and someone looks up and goes, oh, hey, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We were right here. We just figured we'd see you and tell you that she's up in the hotel room. She still loves you, but also Matt and Lee are looking for you. <laughs> this is a nice little story dump by that girl who is not a very good actress and who I assume is one of the producer's kids. It would have been so much better if somebody hit like a slot and then a little piece of paper came out of the screen. <laughs> and read it. like, here's what you need to know, Scott. Yes! <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he goes up to the room and he's asked if she likes him. She says, yeah, I still like you. Sure. And he's like, great. Here is the ugliest piece of jewelry that $4,700 can possibly buy. So he's bought this 4,700 diamond choker where like the choker part is a good four inches or so. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't uh, go around her neck. That would just slice her neck right off, her neck right <laughs> off if she put that on. So she doesn't, thank God. Um, but yeah, he gives her this 4,700 piece of jewelry. Um, so anyway, he he takes off. He goes back down to the casino. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, pops Jared Harris as, what was his name again? Uh, he was either Matt or Lee. Matt or Lee. Who cares? But Jared Skip Harris. from The Sopranos was the other one. And they're two right. drug dealers. <laughs> right. And Jared Harris was on Mad Men. You, it, he's one of those guys. If you, you may not know the name, but you. Know. I like I like Jared Harris a lot. As he do was, I. He was not cast in a good role. <sighs> I, Awful. I, I was. I'm like, is he 45? Yeah. In this role, in a fishnet top, <laughs> some drugs on. Sh- he's like follow Sugar Ray around to sell drugs. 
So this guy who we have never met, who has not been talked about, we're well past the halfway point in this movie. None of this stuff has been mentioned at all. Like, we know about the $5,000. That's all we really know about. All of a sudden, he pops out of nowhere and just accosts Scott and is like, where's the stuff? Where's the stuff? And suddenly, this is not about, like, following your girlfriend who's in love with the lead singer. This is, fuck that. All this, that has nothing to do with Sugar Ray. This is now about money that Scott stole from a violent drug dealer. That's <laughs> what this movie is about now. And this is like where you, they said they kept reshooting and they kept doing all this. Yeah. Stuff. This is where this felt very tacked on. Largely because if you look at what is happening in the individual shots, it does not appear that Jared Harris was there for any of the Reno shots. Uh-huh. I think it looks like they're using stand-ins for anything that was shot in Reno. Anything that looks like it could have been shot anywhere, you see Jared Harris. Anything that is on the streets of Reno, you don't oh. see Jared Harris. So this is what I felt like, man, they did they just throw this in at the last minute and just Well now you're forcing me to go back and watch this thing again. I'm gonna need I you don't to really <laughs> rewatch this thing and really get into it this time. I need frame by frame analysis. So Scott runs away from them easily because they're like forty two year old men. Yeah, it's really easy to run away. And then just conveniently, who was he hit by as he's crossing the street? Billy Crystal and Robin Williams driving a car what? down the strip in Reno. What? So yeah, they Hit the kid with their car, so they take him to a hospital? I guess. They take him back to his mother. They go to a softball game. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) What? They go to a softball game. I wrote down, I'm like, they're at a softball game. Wasn't this movie about a drug rip? Like five minutes ago. They are no longer, they're not worried about this guy following them to the softball game that is apparently like down the street. There are violent drug dealers (laughs) after him. (laughs) And they start talking about Natasha Kinski and how amazing she is as a mother and as a woman. And at this point I realized like, she's just hanging out at home. Yeah. Like she's giving up on this shit. Like she's just like, boom, I'm going to wind you guys up. You do your thing. Bob, go. Everyone go. Everyone go find my child. I'm going home. She's like, kid's gone. Uh, Hubby's gone. Guys I used to fuck are gone. Uh, Me day. It's a me day. (laughs) It's so fucked. Meanwhile, I go back to Bob. And I'm like, I don't think this guy's eaten or or drank water in two days. I I think he's nearing death. He has typhoid. He has typhoid fever. He has diseases that have been eradicated on the earth. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so fucked up. <laughs> and it's even more galling because now we actually learn the backstory of of this little black and white scene from the very beginning of uh, the kid running off on the bike. And all it was is that Bob said, hey, Scott, not so sure about this girlfriend of yours. The girlfriend who is like literally fucking Mark McGrath as the scene is happening. Like you could do a split screen and like Mark McGrath is boating his girlfriend. And there's like, yeah, dad's a Bob didn't want me to go with my girlfriend. That was it. Not that he hit him. Not that he's abusive or a jerk or even like verbally abusive, anything. He, he just didn't want him to follow Sugar Ray with his whore of a girlfriend. <laughs> Sound advice, dad. Happy Father's Day. so they leave billy chris and robin williams leave to go into the casino to confront jared harris but then jared harris comes out pops out from behind a car 
He was just yeah. waiting for them to park right in front of there. And, and this is totally one of those casinos. You, you've been to a casino before. You know how you can totally just park right in front of a casino, just, right? Yeah, right there. I mean, there's tons of parking right there yeah. just out in front. I don't know why no one takes those spots. Um, but yeah, Jared Harris pops out from behind a dumpster or something, and him and his minions start attacking the car, and they're going to get in, so the kid drives off. Zoom, he drives off. And Billy Crystal comes out, and he thinks, oh, shit, the kid, the kid hoodwinked me. He fooled me again. Uh, Robin Williams cites, he's going to stay behind. I'm going to go and I'm going to save Scott from whatever. I don't know. Um, so he follows the Sugar Ray bus to the festival. This is Sonic Invasion 2. Sonic Invasion 1 was legendary, but 2, baby. This one's going nuts. Sonic Invasion 2 was the surf 2 of punk pop concerts <laughs> in the 90s. So, yeah, uh, Scott arrives. um, Robin Williams arrives. We get a real brief shot of the Muffs playing on stage. R.A.P. Kim Shanick. Uh And then we go back to the airport for this. God. I mean, I, I talked at the beginning about how these scenes just dawdle and dawdle. And there's no energy to them. And there's no point in them. Here's another one. I mean, him and, and Julie Louise Dreyfus in the airport. And he's realizing what he has to do. And he boy, does it take them forever to get there. Uh, it's awful. So... You did not need this. You didn't need the scene one iota. Need it. He could have come to the realization the same way and just said, "I, you know, I realize what I need to do." Yeah, or don't just like give up on your son the first time they disappoint you ever. Yeah. <laughs> like he still I thinks mean, this might be his child. Remember, he did take his car, which, as a dad, uh, when that happens, you do go ap- apoplectic. <laughs> But what's what's uh, crazy is that so he he just knows I guess that Robin Williams is at the Sonic Two show and he can't get inside because he doesn't have a badge. Yeah, Robin and, Williams is doing a, a getting past the guard bit. Yeah, and what's great here is that okay again as, with many of these scenes this is obviously just really really shitty ass improv or shitty ass improv turned into a bad scene whatever I don't know what the inspiration process was, but he's talking to the security guard and he's like, "What's your name?" and the guy says, "Bob." Did no one tell them there's another character named Bob in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> like that oh. one was like, oh wait, there's another major character named Bob. Don't just have this guy's name be Bob. I don't think they share a scene until the very end, and that could have been filmed months later. So there, there might not have been at that time. Exactly right. Bob might not have even been in the script at this point. We, yeah. Bob might have come in much later in the post production process. I don't know. So Crystal must automatically know where Jack is or where Dale is trying to get in that he can't have the badge. Because when he gets dejected and turns around, somehow Billy Crystal has a badge. How did he get a fucking badge to this? <laughs> How do you have badges? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, they go backstage and they find Sugar Ray and they do another bit where now Robin Williams pretends to be a German record producer. And that... Goes about how you would expect. I wrote capital letters. Why? (laughs) What is the point of this? What is the point? Just ask them the question that you're there to ask them. There's no need for a ruse at this point. You have passes. You are backstage talking (laughs) to Sugar Ray. You have passes. You are allowed to be back where you are. You don't need to be a pretend person. Uh, It's just awful. Yeah. Um, But anyway, Sugar Ray just tolerates this for a little while. And then they're like, okay, we got to go on stage. So they go on stage. Suddenly the girlfriend shows up because she's going to go dance on stage with Sugar Ray. Scott suddenly shows up as Sugar Ray is heading towards the stage. And they all kind of confront the girlfriend and and, uh, Billy Crystal and Robin Williams are like, 
be honest with Scott. Don't just say that you like him to like kind of nudge him along. And she's like, okay, here's the real deal. She just shits all over Scott. Like, I hate you, Scott. You are garbage to be. Fuck you. Case closed. Can I say something really awful? <laughs> why did, why was this girl like Mark McGrath's, like, he could have been dating much. She was, a, she was cute. <laughs> You're saying this there were cuter was... underage girls that Mark McGrath could have <laughs> I mean, could have been grooming at that time. <laughs> I think Mark McGrath A should have been going for someone his age. And B, this girl was not <laughs> All right. Uh but anyway, yeah, she shits all over him. She's like, "Hey, Scott, no future between me and you. I'm with Mark McGrath now. Sugar Ray till the end of time." And that is the end of that storyline. That's, That's just the it. end of that. Never comes back again. Okay. Woo. Clap, clap, cl- hands clapping sound. Did a good job. Uh, wait, is there another plot point? I can't remember. Oh, shit. Jared Harris and his minions. <laughs> yeah. They're at the concert, too. And they start pursuing the trio. So they're like, oh, shit. We should start to get away. Let's walk out of here. As they're getting away, what shows up? Hold what on. What shows up, Corky? Do mimes have badges? Or a do they have to mime, mime the badge? There's a mime performing at Sonic Invasion 2, <laughs> sometime between the Muffs, the Mighty Mighty Bostos, and Sugar Ray. They're like, what uh, else do kids like? Mimes? Ah, uh, mime. Not a, not a group of mimes. Just uh, mime. one mime. One mime. Sonic Invasion 2. Like, uh, I don't go to the Warp Tour. Are there a lot of mimes at the Warp Tour? I don't know. <laughs> Mime-a-palooza had a bunch. Mime-a-palooza. <laughs> oh, it's just like, uh, what a payoff. What a payoff. But yeah. yeah, so they fight with a mime. Chase continues. So now really, oh shit, Jared Harris is going to get us. Jared Harris is going to get us. So as the chase continues, remember I said the Muffs were playing... They were playing when Robin Williams showed up at the concert. They were then playing when Billy Crystal showed up at the concert, right? Then they stopped playing. There's been no music for a while. So who starts up? The Muffs. (laughs) Sugar Ray was literally just walking to the stage to begin playing in the previous scene. That's what that was all about. Sugar Ray was in the green room and someone said, hey, Sugar Ray, you're on. And Sugar Ray went to go on stage and who plays but the band that had been playing for the last hour. It's so sloppy. It's like yeah. they forgot that Sugar Ray existed as soon as they wrote them out of the movie or something. Well, I it's think like- everybody forgot Sugar Ray existed after this movie came out. So this chase, like, it goes on to this like headbutting fight in the mosh pit where Robin Williams is going to headbutt. You know, he's going to use Billy Crystal's headbutt move to get rid of Jared Harris, but then Billy Crystal comes in and he headbutts him, and then Robin Williams is headbutting, and then it's like a big old mosh pit. And what who is pl- what what band song is playing during this scene? Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> they were the Muffs are fuck- still on stage while all this is happening. They cut away to them. He's <laughs> like, "What the fuck is anyone doing?" He's like, "I don't know what band this band that." I don't know. So after this big fight in the mosh pit, and after Jared Harris and his minion got headbutted, everyone basically gets arrested because they start a big brawl. Next morning, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, and Scott are all released on bail, and that is the end of the drug dealer storyline. Headbutting yeah. made them go away. Headbutting made the drug dealers stop wanting drug money. They know their names. They know where they're from. <laughs> There's no reason that you are safe. You are. They safe. know this girl. He. She knows where he lives. 
the drug dealers are not going to let this go. But you know, because he headbutted him, and that's it. That's it. Like it. It just the movie just decides that's over. Like it's over. That's not a thing anymore. So like, is the movie over? And oh no. fuck no. Because now we got to go back to L.A. We got to return Scott to Mom and Bob. Uh, so they get back. Everyone's hugging and everything like that. And Billy Crystal and Robin Williams kind of see them all hugging. And they say, nice family. At this point, <laughs> I started getting that kind of tingling feeling on the back of my deck where I was like, is this going to be one of those the live eggs is all more noble than the truth ever could finale? <laughs> that is disgusting. Who likes that? I don't get it. But no, it's time to tell Billy and Robin the truth. Scott volunteers to tell them the truth. So what does he say to Robin Williams? You're the dad, but keep it secret from Billy Crystal. And then he goes to Billy Crystal. You're the dad, but keep it secret from Robin Williams. Aw. This is not a healthy family. This is a ha- family built on lies. You would have to be a psychopath to think that that is a noble act. Mom and dad are just hanging out in the next room while all of like this multi-part ruse of like getting Billy Crystal and Robin Williams alone and then lying to them. They're just like, let's hang out in the kitchen while all this is happening while Scott tells them this. Scott is the one who insists on it. This Scott is, is a monster. Family. In the last month, he's ran, in the last week, he's ran away. Yeah. Uh, uh, underage drink. Stole five thousand dollars. Stole five thousand from drug dealers. How did he know the drug dealers within that time? Stole five thousand dollars from drug. Got arrested <laughs> in another state. Oh fuck! Yeah, and then lies to these men after mom says, "Yeah, I lied to those men too." Great pattern you're setting. Lies to mom and dad too. So he's like, "I'll go tell them the truth. They earned it." And then goes and lies to them. <laughs> This movie doesn't end. It just keeps going. We also kind of forgot to mention that Bob. Bob got a ride home from the tow truck driver who tipped him over, and Bob almost seems like slightly ennobled by his adventure of being stuck in a porta potty for a weekend. <laughs> like he's like he's kind of he's learned to chill out a little bit. Like he's he and this guy are friends. He's learned to chill. Like what the fuck? That was not a positive adventure for you, dude. <laughs> that was not like one to grow on. Oh boy! And yes, the movie is still going. But Billy Crystal and Robin Williams are ready to part. I'm heading my way. You're heading your way. Uh, Billy Crystal's at home. And he says, "Bill, uh, you know what? Robin Williams here. You take my car. My luxury, uh, rare little sports jaguar. car. That's yeah, a Jaguar. Here you go. Uh, my, my rare Jaguar. Uh, here you go. Because it's just a thing. Possessions are not important. And it's like, that wasn't his arc. That no, wasn't no, his story arc. Maybe it wasn't a previous draft of the script, but it never comes up as a like, oh, he is all only concerned about possessions, or he's only con- like he goes off to his work thing, but this he's not like he's paid for Robin Williams the whole way. He's not that concerned about it. No. This is the only time he's ever concerned about that. This is also where uh Billy Crystal delivers a line to Robin Williams where he says, You mirth machine, you <laughs> I didn't catch and I that think at all. He, I, I think he really did not mean it. I think they <laughs> hated each other by the end of this movie. After all the reshoots, ADRs, and all those looping sessions, I'm sure they were ready to kill each and other. Comic Relief 12. They're Ugh, just like tired right. of each other. It's like, how many O.J. Simpson jokes can we do? <laughs> uh, but Billy Crystal goes home to Julia Louise Dreyfus. He tells her that he knows the kid lied. He knows that he's not as his father, not Scott's father, but the lie, because again, lies make us better. The lie made him want to start a family. So then, then he could raise a lying little piece of shit on his own. <laughs> it's kind of a beautiful thing. So they're going to go start their family. Robin Williams 
is driving to the airport and he sees a blonde woman by the side of the road. Her car is broken down. So he pulls over for her. It's Mary McCormick. Ivan Reitman connection. Ivan Reitman produced Private Parts, which came out the same year. She played Howard Stern's wife in Private Parts. Uh, Robin Williams' over. hair in this scene oh, is wow. legit four inches longer know, than it was right? in the last scene. This is not part of the original. This is a reshoot right here. So he pulls over for her and is like, oh, well, I'm driving to the airport. Oh, I'm going to the airport. I'm taking this flight. Let's go to this flight. So they drive off together, and then they're going to go off to wine country together because that was his thing with Natasha Kinski was wine country. And again, it was just like this. Uh, this does not. This is not his arc. This is not his arc. It's like no. finding a blonde woman. He was going to put a gun in his mouth yes. and pull the trigger. <laughs> That's his arc. It's finding a reason to live, not like oh my god, a tall blonde woman. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. It, his it's whole. Just, it's so fucking sloppy. It's his so whole reason sloppy. for living was chasing after Scott. Like he even says, I need this kid in my life. I need this. Scott's not in his life anymore. <laughs> oh, no, he is not. No, he is not. Oh man. But that is, thank God, the end. Of and Father's then we, Day. we close it out with uh, a Paul McCartney song that, does sound more Another like late stage Paul McCartney <laughs> not, not as, in that it is not enjoyable to listen to. So, Corky, yeah, Father's Day, Patience Day, give me a swatch on Patience Day. Oh, uh, as a father, I this film offended me on every level. As a fan of um, the Cherry Pop and Daddies, this film offended me. <laughs> Uh, love real big fish yeah uh fuck this movie double dare don't watch it there's nothing for anybody in this movie it's it's shocking honestly shocking and again you at this point you would not expect much out of robin williams or billy crystal you know what i mean like back in their heyday sure but now you would be like oh yeah those guys making a turd of a movie yeah absolutely but still it is shocking how sloppy and lazy and awful this is double dare that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. And be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us. <laughs> I was just thinking I should do this in like eight different characters. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, send us your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares. At Dare Daniel.com. And be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, man. <laughs> Man, am I talented. <laughs> Fellas, us on the speed. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. It's Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can read by movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, where can people find you doing your hilarious character work? You can find me at Sacramento's world-famous Mayan Temple uh, <laughs> Cathedral <laughs> stage that is actually shot inside of the Great American Musical in San Francisco, uh, <laughs> opening for <laughs> Mark McGrath and several th- underage women. Uh, actually, just catch me online, Sacramento Comics. <laughs> oh, by the time you hear this, we'll be open back up. Come see shows. Come see classes. That is good. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Cork McDonald saying, I just want to cry. Cry, 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 cry. (laughs) All right, bye, everyone.